Hey, we're talking about uh, moving mountains, and we've talked about this the last seven weeks. We're in our eighth week, and we're going to conclude this series next week. But the last seven weeks, we've talked a lot about hurt and offense and disappointments and anger. We've talked about a lot of these things, but I, I want us to talk about... All right, these are great. We recognize these. We recognize everybody's been hurt. Somebody's been disappointed in this room, probably today, right? We've been offended. We've been the people that have offended. But how do we live in this world, right? How do we, how do we live, not just maintain, but how do we thrive in a world that's full of hurt, full of offense, and full of disappointment, right? How do I, how do I continually thrive at work, at school, doing life with people, tough people, Fun people, hard people, all of these things. And we've looked at the life of Paul because Paul, this is what I find so fascinating, is Paul was a murderer. He killed people, specifically Christians, killed them, had them killed. The Bible says that Stephen, the first martyr for his faith, was being stoned to death and it said Paul was there. You know why Paul was there? Because he ordered it. He ordered the killing. And so we see Paul and we're like, wow, if there's hope for Paul, there's hope for your husband. There's hope for your wife. There's hope for your kids. Right now, they seem like little terrorists. They won't be right. They're little crazy hellions running around. You're like, oh, my God, is there hope? There's hope. Why? Because Paul was a murderer and Jesus encountered him. And when Jesus encountered him, his life changed. You think when certain people show up for church, we should be afraid? Imagine that first Sunday where Paul showed up. Paul shows up for church and the disciples are like, why are you here? (laughs) Is it the coffee, (laughs) right? You are a murderer. And Paul starts saying things like, give my life to Christ. And we thought it was, we were questioning whether Kanye got saved, right? I mean, Paul, it's like, Paul were really questioning, right? Kanye just rapped about murder. Paul murdered people. Just throwing that out there. So here it is. Paul's writing. And the beauty of Paul, in my opinion, is that I can relate to Paul. I can relate to Paul because Paul is saying things that make Paul sound a little crazy. And I relate to it because there's moments in my life where I feel like I'm a little crazy. Like I'm going crazy. The people around me are going crazy. And Paul is saying things like the things I do, I don't want to do. And the things I don't want want to do, I find myself doing. We're like, what is going on with Paul? Yet we find in his life that as he lives, as he continues to persevere, as he goes through persecution, as he goes through prison, as he's being stoned, as bad things are happening, it says family is turning away from him. Friends are turning away from him. All of a sudden we see maturity in Paul and he starts saying things in Roman prison like rejoice in the Lord. From prison, he's saying rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. What is this? There's a maturity that's happening in him where he's finding strength from the Lord, despite where he is, despite what's happening to him. And this is the problem that I think you and I find ourselves in because Paul has conquered this battle that's happening in our mind. And hear me, the battle always starts in the mind. And this is what he tells the Corinthian church. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war As the world does. 
The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive, what? Every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Paul is saying, we do not wage wars the world does. The weapons we fight with, for those of you who are followers of Christ, you have access to supernatural weapons from heaven to defeat. He uses the word demolish. He says, you have the power. We know where we get this word power. In the Greek, it's dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. We understand dynamite. We understand what dynamite does. It is powerful. He says, you have access to supernatural weapons to destroy everything that is against God. And then he says, it's not just that we're battling. He said, it's the battle that's happening right here that we literally tackle or take captive every thought that is against God. He's saying, you guys, that as you think, as you are. If you think you can't, you probably won't. If you think you can through Christ, you can. This is what he's saying. And what does the enemy do? The enemy tries to shape our thinking. How? One lie at a time. He says things like you can't trust people. You can't get, let them get to know the real you. God doesn't really love you. God doesn't care about you. And this is what Paul said. He said, we demolish, we crush, we vanquish, we destroy. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We crush everything that is not in line with God's truth. And how do we do that? We take captive every thought. Why does this matter? Why does this matter that we take captive every thought? Because your life, the life that you live, is a reflection of the thoughts that you think. It reflects your thought process. It's always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. I would even say this. The battle that is raging is in your mind. Again, Proverbs 23, 7 says this. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think, so you become. And again... If you believe that you can overcome through the power of Christ, I promise you, you can overcome. If you're always looking at the problems and dwelling on the problems, the problems will overwhelm you. And this gets us to thinking and asking questions. What type of thinker am I? What is dominating my thoughts today? This Sunday, November the 17th, what is dominating my thoughts? My worried mind versus my peaceful mind. If you're in this room and you just have excused the fact that you're a worrier and you've said things like, well, my mom was a worrier or my grandma was a worrier. You just excused it away. I'm just here to tell you that that is not the mind of Christ that he wants for you, that God is not a God of worry. God is a God of peace. So if you're worrying, you're following the wrong path and that worry path will take you a direction that you, you cannot even control. But we've excused it. Well, I'm just, it's just kind of who I am. No, 
I break that curse in the name of Jesus. That is not. That is not him. So are you a peaceful mind or are you a worried mind? Are you a positive mind or are you a negative mind? Are you critical of people? Do you see the good? Do you see the benefit? Do you see the positivity in people? Are you positive about life? Or are you negative about life? What kind of mind do you have? Because if you're positive about life, it's going to take you down paths where you see positive things. You can love people when you have a positive mind. You do not love people when you have a negative mind. You do not see the good in your spouse when your mind is negative. Nobody says, I have a negative mind, but I'm fingers crossed things are going to turn out. Temporary versus eternal. We don't talk about this enough. Is what I'm doing benefiting me? My perspective, the things I have, the things I want, or are they things that are benefiting the kingdom of God? Think about what you think about because your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thought. So here's my question. Are you excited about where your thoughts are taking you? Like, it's a general question. Like, are you excited about where your thoughts and the battle that's raging is taking you? So with that in mind, we've talked a lot, no pun intended, but we've talked a lot about different people. And one of those people that we talked about was John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was cousin to Jesus, baptized Jesus, said a statement like, I'm not even worthy to wear the same shoes as Jesus, okay? Yet the Bible says that there's a moment where John the Baptist is calling out the sin of a king and he's put in prison. And John the Baptist then makes this statement. Please, someone go ask Jesus, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that's coming? And I say all that to say because he's seen more miracles than I could even fathom in my mind. He saw Jesus do things that we only read about. Yet in his prison, in his moment of doubt, in his hurt, he said, are you the Christ? Because when we are hurt, we tend to forget about what God has done. We tend to forget about the things that God's been faithful in. Even the small things. We forget about those things. When I when I am in a place that I don't understand and I don't know why I got here. All of these things. Yet the Bible says in Luke 1... And this is so important, you guys. This is, this is Mary. We're going to read about this. Obviously, Christmas is coming up. Who loves Christmas? All right, just want to know who I'm talking to. All right. We're going to, we'll read about all this, but I want to point this out because this is John's life, you guys. It says, a few days later, after Mary had heard that she's pregnant with Jesus, she hurried to the hill country of Judea in the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. And at the sound of Mary's greeting, her voice... Elizabeth's child, that's John, leaped within her. Okay? Leaped within her. I know this this might not be politically correct what I'm about to say. But a fetus was the first to respond to the coming of Jesus. Just throwing that out there. I didn't say it, the Bible did. Believe it or not, or whatever. I don't care. It says, and then Elizabeth was filled with... With the Holy Spirit, I say all this ago, John from the very beginning in the womb had interactions with Jesus. 
Yet he lives a life and he finds himself in a place of hurt and disappointment and confusion. And he says, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that's coming? Because you and I, we're irrational when we don't know what's happening with life. And our mind takes us to a place. And John found himself in this battle that was raging while in prison. And in prison, he starts thinking. He starts dwelling. He starts seeing where he is. And he starts going, are, are, you, are you Jesus? Right? When I allow my pain, hurt, and disappointments in life to dominate my thoughts, I become a very easily offended person. And we live in an age of perpetual offense. We are quick to be offended, quick to call foul, quick to judge, quick to become bitter. I'm not pointing at anybody's because at moments I could be the worst. In other words, I think we're on a continuous search to be offended. And I'm just here to say, whatever it is that you're looking for, you will find. If you're looking to be offended, my God, you're going to find it. You're going to find it in a relationship. You're going to find it in a word. You're going to find it in a text not coming back as quick as you thought it should. And there's bubbles that are even coming up. And you're like, oh my gosh, why are you not responding? I'm just so quick to offend. Right? Because we don't know how to take things. And I would say this. Proverbs 19.11 says this. A wise person demonstrates patience. Come on, somebody. Where are my patient people? Yeah, none of... Oh my gosh. For mercy means... What does mercy mean? Holding your tongue. Man, I'm so bad at this. All right. When you are insulted. Right? When you are what? Insulted. Anybody? Been insulted today? Be quick to forgive and forget it. For you are virtuous when you overlook an offense. Come on. How do we grow past the daily temptation? To overlook an offense. He continues, verse chapter 10. Hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. All offenses. There's a dynamic that happens in every interaction. You may not notice this, but it happens in every interaction. There is an action, something that has been done. And then there's this space that's empty. And then there is a reaction. Action, reaction. I'm not responsible for the action. Right? I'm not responsible. I I can't. You acted a certain way, but I am responsible for what I put in the gap. Which ultimately changes the reaction. So he says, overlook the offense. You're driving down the road. I don't know. You swerve a little bit. Guy coming by you flips you off. There's a moment, right? I may have three seconds or I may have three minutes, but there is a gap. To what I put in that gap for that reaction. I could take it as I am number one. I can wave. And smile and be well on my way. Or I can take that injustice of an action and I can react. And usually this is when we do what was done to us. 
right? I hate you. I hate you too. What did we just do? Flip you off. I flip you back off. What did we just do? We just did what we don't like what was done to us, which makes absolutely no sense, right? We teach this to our kids. Now, why would you hit her back when she hit you? Yet as adults, we do the exact same thing. Someone says, I don't like you or they insult you. What do we usually do? I love you. You are awesome. Come give me a hug. We don't. We don't. We don't. We don't. We don't. We don't fill the gap with that. But keep this in mind. We can control how this happens. And what he says, he says in this moment, to overlook the offense, I have to put something in the gap that changes this. Okay? Now, also take this in mind. When there is an action, if I respond wrong in the reaction, it's usually worse than the action. So going back to kids, your brother punches you, right? What does that do to you when you get punched? You get enraged. You get angry. You punch back. Typically, depends on the brother who got punched, but typically, the punch back is harder and it stirs up the quarrel, right? But love, he said makes up for all offenses. Here's the key. You get to choose what you put in the gap. Okay? But here's the problem. We interpret that action. This is the problem. We're horrible interpreters. This is the problem. You and I, everybody in this room, are horrible interpreters we are bad and here's why i'm going to give you a fundamental definition it's called fundamental attribution error and here's what it is it is the bias i'm going to read this twice because you you got to get this it is the bias to attribute our own behavior to our circumstances while attributing someone else's actions to their character. Okay? Again, my behavior, circumstances. Yours, your character. Here's an example that's probably not good. Your kid, they're small, they go into the Walmart. Let's just say you're going, no, we're going to Target, my, my wife's happy place. And your kid is crying. To you, they're hungry, dirty diaper, a little bit of grace. Somebody else's kid's crying. Horrible parent, you're raising a little terrorist, right? You're a bad mom. Why is that? Because my behavior, I'm justifying by my circumstance. Your behavior, I'm justifying by, you're just an idiot. You're just a jerk. You're just rude. You just need Jesus. We're doing all that based on your character. And sometimes in the gap, we misinterpret. We misinterpret in this space. And so now the action is done to, the, to us. I misinterpret. And now my reaction is ridiculous. And we've all had this done. We've all had this in relationship where people say, you meant this when you said this. And you're like, how would you even think that I meant that? I, that's not even what I was saying. What I really was saying was this. And, and we've misinterpreted it. We've been, someone's misinterpreted how we were saying it or what we're saying. You've gotten a text and you're like, what are they even saying right now? Why? Because we misinterpret. And the Bible says this. 
that there's always a gap. And in Revelation 12, we have a spiritual enemy and the, the goal of Satan is not just to steal, kill, and destroy. The goal of Satan is to accuse. Like it says that he is the accuser. And that is his goal. You're not good. You're not worthy. You, he's the accuser and he wants you to accuse others. And so we put in this gap accusation. We put in this gap these accusations that aren't true. They're based off of, off of like our, our mental image or our mental picture or things that we've been dwelling on. And they're accusatory. And, and so we take this action that's been done and we accuse in the reaction. And accusations erode marriages. They mess up relationships. They, they mess up churches when we have accusations that aren't based on truth. And this is very important that we have the right people in our lives that give us the advice that will benefit you and not tear you down. This is why we, we gather people around us, people that you know are always for us and always uh, want the best for us. Like, and, and hear what I'm saying. This is intentional. Like I have to intentionally invite people into my life to, to speak into my life and people that are, want the best for me. And listen, when the Bible says that our role in relationships is correction. Like there are moments in your life where you need corrected. The question is, who are you going to hear that from? Who are you going to hear correction from? The people you invite to correct you. Hear what I'm about to say to you. I don't invite every single person in my life to correct me. Because every person in my life don't know me. Jesus invited 12 in. Right? He invited 12 in. What did, Jesus shared deep things with these 12. He shared personal things with these 12. He invited these disciples. But the religious leaders, they came along and they just spewed their message. Wherever they wanted. Jesus dealt with them publicly and sometimes harshly. Partly because it was, they were not invited. They were not invited in. This is our job as followers of Jesus to invite people in. And this is not accident. This is intentional that I'm inviting people into my life. And I'm saying, will you speak into my life? And there's going to be moments when I invite you to my life that you need to correct. It's got to happen. Jesus corrected the disciples. And what happened? They grew. God changed them. Jesus corrected the Pharisee, the religious leaders. What happened? They killed him. They killed him. Why? We kill relationships when we allow accusation to fill the gap. We kill marriages when we allow accusation. Friendships, churches, wrong people accuse. Right people confront or correct. Jesus talks about correction as something he does. The devil accuses. The devil accuses. Jesus corrects and he doesn't love. Proverbs 17, 9, he says this. And I'll say this. Correction is all about love and, and doing life with one another. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. That's what he just said. He just said, hey, if you're repeating this action, you're separating friends. Passion Translation says, love overlooks the mistakes of others, but dwelling on the failures of others devastates friendships. So here's what he's saying. 
He's saying in the gap, you have to put love. An action's been done to you. It's wrong. Everybody knows it's wrong. Everybody, you, you could gather people that all will say you're right. What happened to you was wrong. But what you do in this gap matters. And I would say this. When there's an action and a reaction, the first thing you should do out of love is to pray. I would add that in. Because there are things that are going to happen in people's life that I cannot control. I can't. I could say to someone, hey, you're messing up. You're not doing this. You're not doing this right. This is my opinion. Even if Pat came to me and said, Jamie, I need your advice on something. I could give that advice. I could say, this is what I would do. And he might go, no, forget it. My job, my responsibility in that moment is to pray. Like this should always fill the gap, right? Because this is my job. My job is to love and out of love, my job is to pray. I cannot convict. I cannot change. You got to decide that. I cannot do that. But what I fill the gap with, with the reaction is on me. So don't, don't even say, don't even give advice if you can't pray about it. Because out of love, I'll pray. Here's the beauty too. I can walk away and I can be at peace knowing I'm praying about that situation. Here's what Paul told the Ephesian church. Always be humble and gentle. How often? All right. Be patient with each other. Doing what? Making allowance. Now some kids are like, allowance? No, that's not what he's saying. Making allowance for each other's faults because of what? When I fill the gap with love, my reaction changes the action. When I make allowance for people's faults, my love is what wins when I respond and fill the gap with love. Again, I would even add this. This is tough. I think a majority of the time, this is just me, this is my opinion, you guys. When someone's action is done to me, I think it's arrogant or prideful when I think it's about me. So if you do something to me, it probably more explains that something is going on in your life and it has nothing to do with me. Right? It has nothing to do with what you just said to me, how you said it, when you said it, about what even what I did. There's more to the story. And when I make it about me, I get offended. How in the world are you going to say that to me? So then I make it about me. I make the action about me, and now it, it changes my thinking, and now all of a sudden my reaction has made this situation so much worse because I've made it about me. There's no humility. There's no gentleness. There's, there's none of that, and there's definitely not patience. I'm not making allowance for anything you've done. In fact, I'm calling out your faults. I'm not making allowance for your faults. And this is what he said. You want to know if you're acting in love? How did it turn out? What did you put in the gap? You know what weapons we fight with that are not of this world? Is love does win. We we fight with love. We fight 
with perseverance. We fight with determination. We fight by keep going. We fight by growing. We fight by maturing. We fight by not giving up. I don't need to talk smack because I'm going to allow my, what I'm doing and how I'm living to do all the talking for me. So I don't need to make an announcement of this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to prove it by the way that I live. And this is what Jesus is saying. Prove it by the way you live. We don't fight. We don't tear down these things with human hands. We do it supernaturally. And Jesus said, this is how the world knows that you are my disciples. By the way you love. By what you put in the gap. And when you put love in the gap, it changes the action. And then there's this gap where I find me and I find Jesus. And Jesus puts love in the gap. What separates that? Sin. Sin separates it. Listen, has there been a moment in your life where you felt like you were closer to Jesus than you are today? Has there been a moment in your life where you felt like, like John, who's only remembering the day Jesus was baptized, the moments they've walked together, he, and he's in prison, and he's going, I remember a time where me and Jesus were so close. Now I feel so distant. Guess who hadn't moved? Jesus. John had moved away. Listen, if you feel distance between you and Jesus, it's not because he moved, because he's still there. I filled, I filled this gap between me and Jesus with sin and with sin comes guilt and shame and all of these things. And now I'm feeling distance, but Jesus hasn't moved. I have yet. Jesus still puts love in the gap. So when Paul says things like, and I'm convinced that nothing can separate me from the love that Christ has for me. That in this gap, in this gap, he goes, I know there's sin and I know there's pride and I know there's arrogance, but I'm just letting you know, I'm still putting love in the gap because we don't fight with the world's standards. We fight with love. And when love is there, it fills the gap. And here's the promise of Jesus that I think is so incredible. He says, the old is gone. You know the best part of the story is it doesn't say Jesus makes a better version of yourself. He's not, he's not making a better version of you. He's making you new. The old is gone. Behold, all things are new. Jesus isn't asking you to do anything that he's not already done. So in Genesis, when he comes and he says, listen, let's make man in our image. Jesus is saying, let's make man a reflection, not of who they are, but who I am. And Jesus came in and said, listen, there is one thing and one thing only that we got to be known for. And we got to be known for love. So let's make man in that image. And when I make man in that image, they will reflect that love to other people because they filled the gap with love. And now, even though the action and what they did, what was done to them, even though all those things happened, when they filled the gap with love, now it brings brings us closer together. Now the reaction of what Jesus is, is that we are the reflection of who he is. So it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about us just going, listen, this is why I do what I do. Not because of who I am, because I didn't say myself. I'm only doing this because this is what Jesus did. When I was full of sin, when I was full of hate, he filled the gap with love. 
and fill the gap above. And because of that, I am a reflection because I am made in the image of God. And because I'm made in the image of God, I have purpose and I have a calling. And I choose not to be offended by the small thing that you're doing to me because it's not even about me. It's about what he wants to do. And when I understand purpose and when I understand calling, then listen, I'll allow the small offenses not to bother me anymore. Listen, if you find yourself easily offended, remember the gap in what Jesus did. Remember that he filled the gap with love when we did not deserve love. He filled the gap with grace when we did not deserve grace. And right now, there's someone in your life, they don't deserve grace. Give them grace anyway. Because there was a moment when you didn't deserve grace, and God gave you grace anyway. There's a moment where you didn't deserve mercy. You didn't deserve the kindness that leads to repentance that he gave you. You deserved a stiff arm, right? And he gave you kindness. He gave you kindness. There's a moment in your life when you were ungrateful, you were wicked, and he was kind to you. And he says, listen, the, the weapons that we're fighting with is kindness and gentleness and patience and making allowance and overlooking. The disciples came to Jesus and they're like, okay, I get this whole forgiveness thing, but golly, how many times do I got to do this? And he's like, probably 70 times seven. And they're like, that's a lot. That's a lot. My mathematician is 490, 490 times. He's like, I got to forgive 490 times Jesus. And he's like, because you are a reflection of what's been done to you and you have been forgiven that many times. So you reflect that to others. See, I, I think there's so many of us that are living in this place where an action has been done to us and we're kind of on pause. And we're like, what am I going to fill this gap? And if you're allowing your mind to wonder, you, I'm just telling you, you're going to fill the gap with some negative things. And hear what I'm about to say to you. You cannot think on negative things constantly and constantly and constantly and think something good is going to come out of it. It's not going to happen. Nobody. I'm not going to go there. What are you dwelling on today? What is dominating your thoughts? Because as it's dominating your thoughts, it's leading to action. It's leading to action. It's time that we fill the gap. You get to choose that gap today. You get to choose what you put in it. You get to choose to send a text message. You get to choose to make a phone call. You get to choose to go visit someone. You get to choose to send an email. You get to choose to respond in a different way. You get to choose to be quiet. Yeah, you've heard that, right? We have to, at some point, have enough courage to just be quiet. Talking to myself today, you guys we fill in the gap with people are watching people are wanting it's time we fight this war with supernatural powers it's not of ourselves amen would you stand with me today jesus god i thank you for mercy i thank you for grace i thank you for forgiveness i thank you that you love us where we are god i thank you that there are more than conquerors in this room There are sons and daughters, no longer slaves, no longer bound by sin. But God, we have have access to tearing down strongholds. I know strongholds isn't a word we necessarily use, but you know what the, 
the definition of a stronghold is? It's a fortified prison. We have access to demolish strongholds, prisons that we've lived in because of the truth of who Jesus is. God, thank you for your freedom today. Thank you for changing lives. Thank you for transformation. God, thank you that you love us where we are. God, thank you that you extend that love to us today. Thank you for filling the gap. When we didn't deserve it, you filled it. In the name of Jesus. If you're in this room today as we sing this song, it's an anthem. But if you're in this room and you're like, God, I need someone to pray with me. Maybe it's the person next to you. Maybe it's the person around you. Maybe you need to come find someone. There's going to be people that are available for that. But if you're just in this room, you're like, I'm carrying so much. There's this battle that's happening in my mind. I need to talk to someone. I need someone to pray with me. Guys, that is always available. It's always available. I never want you to leave here and say, I wish I would have. It's always available. But hear what I'm about to say. It's not accidentally going to happen. You got to fill that gap. You do. You got to make that decision. And it's going to be humble. It's going to make you humble. It's going to take humility. You might have to look at the person next to you and say, hey, I need prayer today. Or I need someone to talk to. Or I need counseling. Or I need someone to to help me through a situation. What does that take? It takes a lot of humility, you guys. Always be humble and gentle. Amen? Let's sing this song together.